Hello everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of One Controller Port Podcast. I am Benjamin Yoder, here today, uh, with, with Xenoblade 2 stuff. I, I mainly played Xenoblade 2 over the week, although I guess there's, there's a few other things I could say before I get too, too deep into Xenoblade 2. Uh, I was actually on a car drive, um going up to a place it's like an hour and a half drive something like that two hour drive uh so it was the first time that i really got to use the nintendo switch sorry i just jumped like directly into this episode but here we are <laughs> it's the first time we really got to or i really got to use the nintendo switch in its portable mode uh for an extended period of time um and i was kind of surprised uh that in some ways it works pretty well, in some ways it doesn't really work super great. Um, basically, um, what ended up happening is, like, yes, the screen looks really good, like the brightness with it turned all the way up looks really great, and I haven't played with the Vita before, so jumping from a Nintendo 3DS to a PlayStation, or to a Nintendo Switch, is a pretty big jump in graphic fidelity for a portable console. Um, I have played some Vita games, uh, but I only have a PlayStation TV. So, uh, Freedom Wars looks fantastic, and I think I would have been equally, equally surprised playing that on a tiny Vita, but instead I played it on TV, so it looks like a, a PS3 game (laughs) more than anything, which was good. Freedom Wars, great game, great looking game too. Um, but anyways, yeah, so I was kind of just surprised uh how much of an impact that made on me in terms of like seeing a portable game just look so nice because in terms of of 3d graphics on a portable system i say the 3ds is probably closer to like a maybe not a dreamcast but somewhere between like a dreamcast and a ps2 in terms of power uh but the the things that i did run into problems with this was the with the, the controller rumble uh, it would rumble with the tablet on, and it just didn't feel or sound right. <laughs> it just didn't, yeah, it wasn't great. Um, and then also, because games are motion-controlled, I've played a little bit of Mario Odyssey. Um, it, it didn't really make any sense to do the motion controls using it with the tablet attached, so that... It, it kind of seems, because I actually do really like motion controls, but if you have to design your game with motion controls, then... You need to have a way portably that it works well as well. Uh, I'm sure you could probably wiggle your tablet around and stuff, but then you're moving your like point of view and stuff, and it's like, ugh, it, it wasn't great. Maybe there's a great there's like a way like um, in in Mario Galaxy or uh, Odyssey, you can like throw your hat and then you can shake the controller and it will like heat seek onto things. And I didn't really want to shake the entire console. Maybe there's a button input to to have it heat seek onto things, but I basically just played it without doing that heat seek thing. Um, and that was kind of, kind of frustrating, like being, having that ability taken away. If it was never there in the first place, I probably would have been okay. But, um, I was just in a position where I was like, I don't, yeah, I don't want to shake this, this, this entire, (laughs) um, entire tablet handheld around, especially since I get like really nervous with the, uh, the joy cons because it feels kind of like the system is going to slip out sometimes. It's not going to, I'm sure, but, uh, I don't know. Um, and then just the battery life wasn't great. It was like a two, I guess it was like a, you know, like one and a half, one and a half, two hour drive. And I probably played, uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2 for like 70% of the drive. And my battery was already pretty low by the end of the drive. I mean, there's still plenty of time to go on it, but, um, 
yeah i would like if portable systems had a lot of battery life so there's suddenly i reviewed uh playing my switch in portable mode it worked it works pretty great except for the little nitpicky things like that i think um i would like to get a vita someday uh but it just hasn't been a top priority and I don't have that many Vita games and I don't travel a lot. So now that I've, <laughs> now that I've finished that drive, uh, that probably won't happen anytime. Or I won't probably won't play the system in that configuration for the next three months, at least if not more than that. <laughs> um, it's just not something I do very often. I like playing my, my stuff at home and I wish there was a way to play 3ds and DS games easier on a TV. Cause that is definitely the way I want to play those. Um, um, and in addition to talking about that, uh, Mario Odyssey, um, so I beat Mario Odyssey. I'm pretty sure I talked about that here that I, that I did that and I sat down and tried to play it again after beating the game and I just really couldn't find it in me. I had like 550 moons or something like that, somewhere around that range. And I was just like running around the, the post game area and then I went to the, um, the areas after the, um, after the post game area, because there's some additional areas after you beat the, or after you have enough moons, and I just didn't. Oh no, I just didn't care. Like, like the, getting the moons feels so uh, tedious, I guess, in a lot of ways. There's just so many moons, and I, I, I like tracking them down in the main story. But after I was done, I was like, I don't want to track these moons down anymore. I don't know. I'm being very negative, Nancy, today. Apparently, <laughs> um. But things will get better. Anyways, really the point was, uh, I, I, I don't know if I have it in me to keep playing Mario Gal- or Mario Odyssey. I know it's like 900 or something moons, but maybe it's just too too much too soon. But it's just, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I don't want to 100% that game, I don't think, the more I think about it. Um, yeah, yeah, Nintendo. This is one controller podcast episode thirty one. I just went on a random rant <laughs> for the first six minutes of this. Um, this week I don't have any news stories to really talk about. Uh, basically, um, I mainly wanted to to talk about the games I had been playing. Uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Xenoblade Chronicles Two is really the main one, um, and. I, Given my little rant there, I probably won't have time to talk too much more than Xenoblade Chronicles 2 at this point. Uh, but I did miss uh, the fortune cookie last week. I got so busy talking about other things that I completely forgot the fortune cookie. So we're going to do a fortune cookie this week. I absolutely guarantee it. Um, and to give myself time to do that, let's go ahead and talk about Xenoblade Chronicles 2. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles 2. So I'm a big Xenoblade fan. I'm a big Monolithsoft fan. I should say that first. I'm a big Monolithsoft fan. Botan Kaitos is my favorite Monolithsoft game. Um, Xenosaga 1 through 3 are okay. Xenogears is okay-ish. Um, and then Xenoblade is pretty great. I really like Xenoblade. Uh, and then I, I had a, uh, an article I posted up about Xenoblade Chronicles X where I, I had a hard time adapting to it since it's like a big open world game. Um... But in the same ways that uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X is like really different in terms of structure, the the gameplay and combat mechanics of X are very similar to the first game. So I was actually really concerned when they announced Xenoblade 2 being more of a standard Japanese RPG, because the original Xenoblade is already pretty close to a standard JRPG in a lot of ways. Um, so I was like, are we re- are we going to get like <laughs> an Xenoblade 2 that is just really a straight up Xenoblade 2? 
Um, and thankfully not. Uh, Xenoblade 2 is an incredibly different game in terms of how it works mechanically. Uh, the battle system is uh, basically a lot more about um, timing than anything else. Beforehand, it was more about the management of your cooldown skills, and that's definitely the case here uh, to some extent, but it's more about um, hitting hitting attacks at the end of combos. So you have basically an auto attack you do that builds up energy, and then once you hit the end of the, the, uh, the auto attack, it's like a three-hit combo for single-hit weapons, but it can be more depending on the weapon or less, I think. Um, you, you use a art, which is like a, a weapon skill that you use, or you do like a special punch or something. And, uh, if you time it right, you'll do extra damage and things like that. Um, and there's also like different skills attached to these, these arts, like ones that will make it spawn a health potion. If you get the health, if you or make it, there's a chance it will spawn a health potion or like it will do more damage from the side, do more damage from behind. We'll do a break. We'll do a topple. Uh, which essentially flips the enemy over so you do a b bunch of extra damage onto them. Um, but it gets incredibly complicated because not only do you have these three weapon skills you're using, but you also have a fourth uh, skill, which is like an energy you're building up, and this energy builds up to level four, and you can basically launch a powerful attack. Uh, but then you also switch between different weapons. <laughs> So you build up what you what happens is you use your arts and then you build up a certain amount of energy and then you're you're punching in it you're rebuilding the energy on your 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 I'm using energy as a word a lot for a lot of things <laughs> um, but essentially you're, you're using your audio attack you use the arts to build up your skill and then once you have your skill to a high enough level you use that skill. And then that's kind of your main damage output. Um, but in addition to having that on a single weapon, you also can switch between weapons during combat. So what happens is you you do your auto attack, use your arts, and then at the end of using those arts, you switch over to your other weapon, which then has all of its arts um, full, fully uh, charged up because you're doing auto attacks. And then you use those arts as well. And then you can kind of bounce back and forth between your weapons. Uh, as this is happening there is a timer on switching weapons which kind of limits how much you can you can abuse it in that sense you can't just constantly swap back and forth to keep having arts non-stop but um but essentially it's it's all these little different timers on each of your arts that are filling up and then also the timer on your weapon that's filling up <laughs> and you're watching all of these and trying to to basically micromanage them uh but then there's also your partners who use like elemental skills and when they use those elemental skills they actually bring up a chart that appears on the top right of the screen where those skills can then combo into another elemental skill and then that elemental skill can combo into another elemental skill it's almost like a uh, like a family tree kind of thing where you have the main skill as the starting skill and then that splits off into um to these uh these sub skills sub points so like if you have the main starting skill you can either do a fire or a water attack there's four elements but depending on the starting skill it will have different skills you can combo with so you go to fire and then that fire skill also has two skills that go off of that and so essentially what you have to do is you get to combo with your allies with these skills but it has to be a skill that's a higher level than the previous one so the first character will use a level one skill the second character will use a level two skill and the last character which is usually you will use a level three or level four skill um and so that's kind of the whole purpose of the combat is to try to basically build up these meters for every single piece of the combat and ultimately come to a, 
uh, I think they call it like a perfect combo where you go through and you do these three set elemental skills to uh, deal damage to to a foe. Uh, that last layer in particular is um, with the elemental chains. Um, doesn't really apply in most regular combat instances. It's more for like uh, the bosses and notorious or named monsters and things like that. But if you really look at it, it's actually very similar to the Xenosaga battle system. Um, Xenosaga and Xenogears too, I should say. So uh, Xenogears originally uh, has a system where basically you choose different moves and those combo into another move, which then you can use to combo into a final like strike. And it's almost like they took that system and placed it on top of Xenoblade's system. Um, and that's just like the core combat. And it's very, <laughs> it's very difficult to explain, but it's very different from the other Xenoblade games, which is the big thing. Uh, there are problems with it. Uh, like the auto attack system is very clunky in some ways. And just like how you move around, the battle is not very uh, convenient. I'll probably, hopefully I'll do some kind of longer form article to really go deeper into that. Um, I guess what the point is I was trying to get to with explaining all that is that this is a very different Xenoblade game in terms of combat. Um, Xenoblade Chronicles X definitely had its own flair when it comes to that stuff. I mean, just the skills alone uh, changed combat for Xenoblade pretty significantly. Um, but, but Xenoblade too is like its own beast <laughs> in, a, in a way um i like to talk about it more and there's definitely a ton of stuff good and bad about the game like for some reason monolith is like doing worse and worse on their ui design uh at least for this one the text and stuff is big enough that if you do play in docs mode it's actually really readable but on a tv it just looks like so big and so overblown uh, also it's not a great looking game it's there's a lot of resolution issues happening and Stuff in the distance looks very muddy in a way that I thought the original Xenoblade somehow avoided. I'm not sure what's going on <laughs> with that with the game, but like sometimes you'll look into a vista and it's just like, oh, this looks this kind of looks bad. <laughs> um, but so far, it's been a really great game, and I think if you're a Monolith Soft fan, there's a lot to like here in terms of the battle system. Uh, the battle system is always the number one selling point for me with any Molosoft game, and I like the story so far. Uh, we're going 500 miles per minute on this podcast, and we're just going to go ahead and open that fortune cookie, my favorite part of the podcast. Um, <laughs> Panzer Dragoon Orta. Uh, that is a game I actually don't like that much. Or sorry, let me correct myself. Panzer Dragoon Orta, fantastic game. I want to talk about that game. I've written a script for that game and I have not done the video yet. And I definitely need to at some point because there are things I love about Panzer Dragoon Yorda. Panzer Dragoon, the original, um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's a bad game. It's not a bad game. It is not a bad game. Uh, Panzer Dragoon Orda, or Panzer Dragoon, excuse me, um, is, I don't know the best way to describe it, but it's pretty pretty uh straightforward in terms of it just being an on-rail shooter it has a lot of style uh very similar to nausicaa almost pulled directly out of nausicaa in a lot of ways um i don't know the best way to describe the style though it's it's this very uh ah man it's like an 90s kind of post-apocalyptic uh anime that has kind of a 
a in some ways like a mid-eastern vibe to it um that i that i like a lot this is one of those games that whenever i try to describe stuff like the visual presentation of a game it's very difficult for me uh but um yeah, it's pretty much an on-rail shooter, and you can rotate your your view uh, 360 degrees around the the character, and you can basically lock on uh, and shoot out these energy beams, or you can just like fire normal normal shots. It's very similar to Star Fox if you're a Nintendo fan. Um, I played the Xbox version, which is packed in with Panzer Dragoon Orta. I think after you beat the game, and there are some pretty significant frame rate issues, but I don't think I think it runs worse than the original Saturn version, but I think the Saturn version only runs at like 20 frames per second, which is pretty normal for uh, 32 and 64-bit games. Um, but yeah, I, I compare it a lot to like, uh, I, I don't know, I guess it depends on how old you are. <laughs> There's a lot of times where when I was a kid where I, like, I'd watch an OVA for an anime that had never been localized in America or something like that, other than outside of this OVA. And you watch it, and it's pretty clear that the world itself is, has been fleshed out otherwise in other mediums or, like, in a in an actual anime series or something like that. But if you just get the OVA, it's like, this is a very bizarre world that I don't really fully understand. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot going on here with the story. And if you dig, you will go deep. There's like, It feels almost like this entire world was created, but you, you are only... F- only seeing this individual moment happening within this world. Like there's so many moving parts that you never see. Um, and that's how Panzer Dragoon feels to me. It feels like a game that had a, had a, like a manga or anime that it was based off of or something that goes deeper. And Hey, maybe there actually is something, but I think I'm pretty sure Panzer Dragoon is an original property in terms of like the being a video game. So I think anything that they would have filled out later is like a back end kind of thing. Um, but there's an actual RPG of Pandragoon Saga, which is pretty popular these days, if only for how rare it is. Um, that kind of fills that that information out, I would assume, more so than than a quick, you know, shooter that Pandragoon is. I'm very tense today, and I'm not sure why. I'm pretty sure you probably can hear it in my voice, uh, and just like how I how I kind of blasted through this i want to do something that's kind of chill um you know what let's kind of let's do something kind of chill let's relax here i'm gonna um you know what the the next time we talk um christmas will have already passed i believe you know what? We might actually be talking Christmas Day. Even so, um, one thing I want to talk about is Blue Steep Christmas. <laughs> um, I really like Christmas games. Uh, there's not a ton of them, or there used to not be a ton of them. I think with indie games now, you're getting a lot more of those kind of, um, and the ability to patch games these days too. Um, you're getting a lot more of that kind of Christmas content and stuff. Um, but one of my favorite games is Blue Stinger on the Dreamcast, which is not a great game. I like it, but I generally hear it's not great, I should say. I generally hear it's not a great game. <laughs> um, it is very much a Resident Evil clone, much of like, uh, key cards and stuff, like opening doors and stuff. Um, 
But one of the most fascinating things about that game is it takes place on December 24th. Um, and you're on this, this self-contained island, you know, people live in this island and they also like shop there and stuff. It's like a, it's like a science, like military base kind of thing. So, so people are out there living in the residential areas. They're going shopping and stuff like that. Uh, like they would for any other, you know, city. Um, and so a large portion of the game takes place in, um, in a shopping mall <laughs> and, and there's just a lot of like like Christmas ads and stuff it's like the Santa that's like sitting there winking at you and like drinking drinking Hassy which is like a soda energy drink thing um and there's light of like uh like bikini models and like Santa Santa bikini outfit things and there's just like it's just Christmas decorations everywhere in this store um and while you're in that store it's just like so upbeat and happy while you're killing these like big multi-armed spider monster things <laughs> um i have the the background music playing right now because i think it's like one of my favorite video game songs just like oh it's, it's like christmas mall theme and you spend a pretty large chunk of the game in it and i always love that you like go to these other areas in the game and it's like this very kind of like intense or like dark music but mainly intense i think a lot of like this like trumpets and like stuff happening like it's like oh here's this action scene kind of music uh but then when you go between zones the music changes and sometimes when you're going between zones you don't know what where you're going to kind of loop back around to and then you like be in this this really tense situation and then you open the door and you're just back in the shopping mall <laughs> and you're a place you couldn't reach before or like the door was locked on the other side and the christmas music just starts playing again you're like yeah <laughs> yeah and it kind of acts in some ways as a hub because uh in the shopping mall there's a a um a a level for um for VIP uh, people. So you play a mini game and you unlock this VIP area, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like story forced you have to play this mini game. It's not like an optional thing. Uh, and you go up there and there's just a ton of weapons on sale like lightsabers, napalm guns, a bunch of random stuff, t-shirts that make you wrestle or do karate and stuff like that. It's it's pretty great. Um I just I I really like how Blue Stinger uh, handles its Christmas. It's 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 got a good feeling to it. It's got a good look to it too, in terms of just like ads being everywhere. One thing I wanted always wanted to do is like run an emulator and like pull all the textures or something and get all the ads. I wonder if that's a way I could do that without actually playing the game because I think last time I did it, I had to play the game to load the textures and then sit there and like go through the files of each area and then load them in to save them. Um, but yeah, I, Blue Stinger's a great game, good Christmas game. Uh, it's not a great game probably, but, but if you like Resident Evil games, uh, give Blue Stinger a shot. Very cheesy, very awkward in a lot of ways. One of those awkward Dreamcast games. Um, that felt a little better than, than what I was talking about before, I think. So I'll just end it on that, and thank you guys for listening this week. Um... I'll try to have something ready for Christmas. I don't know if I'll be any kind of like special episode. It might just be me rambling again. Um, we'll see. Things I'm sure are going to start slowing down. I'm going to have harder and harder to find things to talk about <laughs> until the news picks up again. Uh, other than just rambling to myself about garbage. Um, so yeah, that's it. Thank you guys very much for listening. And you have a great week. And if you go out for Christmas and don't hear me... Have, have a great holiday week, weekend.
Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Merry Blue Steam. <laughs>